Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the jazz session. I'm Jason Crane. The jazz session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. The jazz session is also available for free at thejazzsession.com and in iTunes. Before we get to this week's guest, I just wanted to note that at the end of last week, the show passed 300,000 downloads. And I don't know when you're actually listening to this, but when I'm talking, I'm you know kind of in the the third week of September or so of 2009, and I couldn't be more excited. I mean, I just I thank you so much for uh, tuning in every week, for telling a friend. Uh, there are thousands of people listening to the show each week, which is fantastic. And uh, who would have thought when I was sitting in Grant Stewart's hotel room in Rochester, New York, recording the first episode of a show that had no radio station and a built-in audience of zero, or one if you counted me, uh, who would have thought that uh, just a couple of years later we'd be over 300,000 downloads, have the partnership with All About Jazz. It's just uh, it's so exciting. It's very gratifying for me because uh, I really just do this because I love it. Uh, I don't make any money at it. As a matter of fact, in an even smarter business plan, I lose money at it. So uh, that's even better. But I'll tell you, it's uh, it's worth it to bring this uh, this incredible stuff to you, and it's uh, it's worth it for me to get to spend time with these musicians uh, whose music I value so much. Um, somebody once said to me, you know, these people put their pants on one leg at a time just like you do. And uh, that's true. But then once they have their pants on, they make some of the most incredible music in the world. And uh, I never stop feeling giddy when I get to talk to uh, and particularly be in a room with uh, these musicians who I respect so much. And I figure when I stop feeling giddy, I'll stop recording episodes of the show. Well, here's another uh, great musician coming up. Uh, today's guest is Jason Marsalis. Uh, you probably know him as a drummer, and uh, he does play some drums on this recording. But primarily, he's on the vibraphone on his new CD, which is called Music Update. And here he is with Offbeat Personality. <laughs> My guest is Jason Marsalis. His new album on his own Elm Records label is called Music Update, and uh, it's my pleasure to have Jason Marsalis on the show. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's very good to talk to you. Uh, let's start out by uh, asking you, uh, when did you really start focusing uh, on the vibes uh, as, a, as an instrument, which is uh, the primary voice uh, that you use here on this record? Well... I first got a set of vibes in the mid early early to mid nineties when I was in high school and it was really my father's idea because at that time I was starting to study uh classical percussion. I had already been playing drum set for many years, but I was starting to study classical percussion and 
he said that vibes would be a good idea since it's a melodic percussion instrument and that it would uh, help with some uh, harmonic skills. Uh, you know, harmony and melody, and I said, okay, that's great. So I got the instrument then, but honestly, I practiced it off and on, and I wasn't very serious about it. It was very inconsistent. Uh, but it wasn't until uh, the year 2000 when I had left the group uh, Los Hombres Calientes when I looked at the set of vibes and said, man, I haven't been doing anything with it, and I really want to play and try to contribute some music to this instrument, so let me get cracking at it. So it was in 2000 that I did my first gig, full gig, with my father. It was just duos, piano and vibes. Uh, and shortly after that, I started to do a Monday night gig every week at a club called The Funky Butt, which is no longer there. And so that's when I really started to play shows and play the vibes. You uh, you mentioned doing uh, duos with your father, who's obviously the pianist, Ellis Marsalis, and uh, there's a pianist on this uh, recording as well who we'll talk about more. But I wanted to ask you about the interplay of piano and vibes. It seems like it would be easy to tread on one another's toes. Uh, how do you navigate all those uh, fingers and all those notes at one time? It, it, it's interesting that you say that because the vibes does have the same notes as piano in terms of the note structure, um, in terms of the structure of the instrument, it is similar to keyboard, keyboard, but the sounds are very different. And really, the way that um, the way that you avoid that is being clear on one's role, because really the vibes is more of a solo instrument. Um, I mean, it can be used as an accompaniment instrument, and it has, but it's very tricky. It's not. It, that's not really what the instrument is commonly used for. But in most cases, it's used as a solo instrument, and then at that point, um, it's very, you know, it, things are very easy. The piano can just focus on accompaniment. What what makes it tricky to use the vibes for accompaniment? I think it's really just the, the physical nature of the instrument. Because, one, it's hard enough playing two mallets and trying to play the notes accurately. Then you have to add four mallets. <laughs> You know, or even even with just two, I mean, four is a little trickier. But just the physical nature of the instrument, you know, trying to navigate chords, it's much harder than on piano. Now that piano is easy, but with piano, you know, you have all the notes and things that you can use with your fingers. But with the vibes, with the mallets, it's trickier to navigate mallets around uh, the notes on the instrument. And so when you're trying to move from one chord to the next, uh, it's just it's just not a, not an easy proposition. It can be done. But it's not an easy proposition, and it's not something that's common for the instrument. I think it's fair to say that most people will be more familiar with you uh, at the drum set uh, than behind the vibes. And so I wonder, uh, for you, uh, are there some kind of mental challenges to uh, driving a band from uh, the drums as opposed to uh, interacting from the vibes? Wow. I had to think about that for a second because to me it's it all becomes one thing. I mean, when I play drums, I have to you know play uh, what's best for the music and how to support the band best. And you know, when playing vibes, it's a solo instrument, and at that point, the focus is on soloing and making sure that the harmony and that the chord changes are being played correctly and the melodies are being played correctly. Now, I must say that um, with the vibes, I'm still working on really listening to the band a little better. I mean, I do, but I think with the drums, it's something I can do a lot easier than with the vibes. Because with the vibes, it's very easy to get caught up with the instrument. You know, with the instrument and making sure that you're playing 
the, the songs and the changes correctly. It's really easy to get caught up in the instrument that way. But uh, I think that if I had to, to say uh, in terms of the mental challenges, I think right now in terms of just really interacting and listening to a band, it's a little trickier on vibes since I haven't done it as much. But, I mean, I think it, it gets better with time. Now, you could have chosen, I'm guessing, just about anybody you wanted to play on this record. And uh, you chose three musicians who you met uh, in an interesting situation. Will you talk about uh, how you got together with these three people and why you used them? First thing is, as far as the record itself, the record itself took a very long time to make because I had started planning this record back in 2005. And really... In New Orleans, I was going to, uh, yeah, I was actually going to do some shows in the fall of 2005 and record it in the latter part of 2005. However, August 29th, uh, some very interesting things happened, which uh, blew that out of the water, pun intended. Um, afterwards, um, it wasn't until 07 that I started to try to plan the record again, but snags kept coming up such as one session that I, I was trying to work out. Some studio time ran out, or we didn't have as much studio time as we thought, so it couldn't happen. And then another session took place where it, it ended up getting canceled because one of the band members got hurt, and <laughs> it was just a lot of snags. So finally it, it came out to be the situation where I said, all right, I had a gig in New Orleans I was doing with the band that I had. I said, look, we're going to go into the studio on the next day, and we're going to be there for three hours, and we're going to get out. <laughs> you know? I mean, because it took so long. But meanwhile, while all of that happened, um, I started doing residencies at Florida State University with pianist Marcus Roberts. He's a pianist that I play drums with. And it was there uh that I first met uh the drummer named David Potter, bass player named Will Goble, and a pianist named Austin Johnson. And so um sure it was I think it was a year after I had started doing those residencies, I got to know the guys and I had used Will and Dave on a gig in New Orleans, which they told me happened five years ago and it was just the two of them. And shortly after that uh, Will and Dave set up a gig for me to do in Savannah, Georgia with them and with pianist Austin Johnson. I said, yeah, we'll do that. And I decided to go with these guys because, one, they're really dedicated to learning and playing the music. And they're really serious about it. And so uh, they're, they're really serious about creating a band sound. So that's really why I went with those guys. Thank you. 
as a drummer yourself, uh, what do you look for or what do you need in a drummer who's going to play with you? Uh, really just the best support and the best sound. Uh, I mean, that's something that I do talk about with uh, the drummer, David, on the record um, a lot. You know, we talk about how to voice the drum kit, uh, the best things to play, what works, what doesn't. Uh, but I would have to say uh, just the, the best support. And, I mean, that goes for any of the instruments. Uh, but I would say with drums in particular, it's about the best support and the best balance and sound that you can get on the drum kit. What does voicing the drum kit mean? Well, okay, voicing the drum kit has to do with how uh, which uh, which instruments are in the lead and which instruments are playing support. Because the drum set, it is a set of instruments. So, for example, in jazz music, the ride cymbal is the lead instrument. So basically, the drums are going to be supporting the ride cymbal. So they have to be voiced underneath um, in a way that it supports the cymbal. It's, it's real easy, though, for the drums to cover up the cymbal, and you don't want to do that. Because when that happens, there's a certain kind of clarity with the rhythm and the swing that gets lost. Uh, so, it's, so it's very important that the drums are voiced underneath the, the ride cymbal. So you actually you approach the drum set as an entire band, kind of all at your command, right there. That's what I'm saying. It's a it's a set of instruments. I mean, that's what makes it so tricky. I mean, not only do you need coordination to play uh, the, the drum set, you have to uh, voice them, you know, correctly, and the, it's a very tricky proposition. This record. Uh, I've been thinking what word I was going to use, but it has a real kind of dignity to it. It, uh, you know, it it swings in all the places it's supposed to swing, and it, it, you know, it does all of the kind of, you know, gut things that it's supposed to do. But it it has a, uh, it although dignity is the best word I can think of, it has a real kind of presence to the music. Can you talk a little bit about just how you approach performing music in general, the actual act of of performing music? I think right now what. One of the things that I would have learned, that I've learned from performing with Marcus Roberts, was how to organize a set, and how to or, and what I mean by that is how what tunes goes first, what should follow that song, how does the set play out over the next hour and fifteen minutes or hour and a half, uh, what what kind of variety is there during the set because you want to have variety to keep the listeners interested. And so for me, that's the most important thing. I mean, I've done gigs where, say, where for instance, in jazz music, a musician will have an hour and a half, and they'll only play five songs. But the five songs consist of lots of long solos, and the solos are long because I think deep down the musician knows he doesn't have enough tunes together, so they have to stall for time and so forth. And there's not a lot. Not, not, you can pull that off, but really, to me, it's better to have a, um, you know, a lot more music and a lot more variety to keep the listener interested. So for me, that, that's what I'm interested in the most, is having a lot, different, different variety, different types of tunes that have different moods. And, and uh, you know, it, it keeps the listener wondering, man, what's happening next? Oh, this is different from the last tune. Okay. And it keeps them on the ride. People who uh, checked out uh, your previous two recordings will be familiar with the the Discipline series, kind of a oh, yeah. yep a drum a drum one man drum ensemble, mm-hmm. um, and uh, Discipline tracks uh, appear on this record. Music update as well. Can you talk about uh, why you include those? Man, I would have to think back to the very first one, and 
It's a very interesting thing. I'm not sure why I even thought to do that originally. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, actually, I take that back. I do know. Uh, there was a percussionist by the name of Leon Parker. And Leon Parker first came out on the scene in the, um, in the, in the mid-'90s, and the big talk about him was that he had no hi-hat. He just played snare drum, bass drum, and cymbal. No hi-hat. Uh, and he did it well, actually. But that was the big deal about him. He did a record on CBS Records called Awakening. And I remember right around the time of doing my first record, uh, I was listening to that record, and what I liked about it was that he had all these overdub percussion parts and these grooves and rhythms that he created on this record, and it was a very pure-sounding record. I just thought, man, this is, wow, that's, that's interesting. It was, a, it was an approach that I liked a lot, and I thought, man, I'd like to do something like that, man. And I think it was, um, and I was listening to that record while doing the first one, and, and I decided uh, to, that I wanted to do something that involved overdubbing of drum parts. And so on the very first session, um, yeah, I mean, there was many different things that I did on the first one. I mean, I didn't call them all discipline. I think the first one I had a, a thing with, um, uh, you know, that, that sort of overlapped various New Orleans traditional drum beats, but in different related times. And uh, there was another one. I think the discipline one came a little later where I took out, where I overdubbed all these tracks, and then I took out a segment of the tracks and created another one. And, and it, what, what, the reason why I decided to call them discipline is because if you're going to practice percussion, you need discipline to do that because you, all you're playing is one timbre. And that's what anything. I mean, that's if, if you're practicing classical music, if you're practicing crash cymbals, that's one sound that you're trying to perfect. You could be practicing triangle. It's one instrument that you're trying to get the right sounds out of. Uh, bass drum, snare drum, you play rudiments for an hour on one drum. So there's discipline that's needed for that. Now, true, the, the drum set has many different instruments, but even then, you can reduce them to one instrument each. And the point is, is you need discipline to really practice and p play those kind of instruments because you don't have a lot of the different notes, so to speak, even on vibes. I mean, vibraphone, you have a lot of different notes and so forth that you can play around with. Uh, but really with percussion, it's just one timbre that you're trying to master. Therefore, uh, to do that, you need the discipline to do that. And frankly, when I'm putting those tracks together, that does take a certain amount of discipline because those tracks are done in real time. So I'm having to, so a lot of times I will think of, like, the, 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 the songs themselves aren't written out. I will think of it in the studio, okay, what do I want to do? Okay, I want to do a rhythm like this, and I want the breaks to be this. But, I, but I'm thinking about the form in my head right there. So I'm laying down one track, and I have to so mentally think of how the whole form is going to play out when I lay down that first track. And then second track, same thing. Third track, same thing. And so even that, that takes a certain amount of discipline to do that. So what I decided after the first record... I decided to keep it going because there was a gentleman who did like those and said, man, I wish that those disciplines would have been a little longer. I said, okay. So I made the next one a little longer. Uh, so then I talked to someone that said that if that one would have been a little shorter, it would have been good. But I just decided to keep the series going. I mean, and there's more disciplines to come.
There's a track on the new record that's called Blues for the 29 Percenters, down to 19. Can you talk about what that refers to? Yeah, that's, that's a political statement, and I'll let you figure that out. <laughs> that's what that is. It, was, it, it involves politics, and it was a saying that I got from the Internet. It's like, oh, the 29 Percenters are everywhere, and I'll let you decide what that is. So you're not going to tell us? No. All right. <laughs> but that is something from politics. All right. And, you know, and it is true, though. The 29 did go down to 19. Then we will uh, we will let folks uh, run to Google and uh, figure it out for themselves. Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you go to Google, you can find out. <laughs> There's uh, two tracks on here, Midnight Sun and uh, Seven Come Eleven, uh, that seem to be you know choices for a particular reason. Um, can you talk about why those tracks made an appearance on this record? Well, really, when I started investigating the music of Lionel Hampton, you know, I had found out that Midnight Sun was a p- pretty big record of his and so forth. And that was a tune that I wanted to learn, really, for that reason. Uh, and so it was at some time, it was a tune that I had wanted to play. But it's, at, it, after a while, I started to get this idea for this arrangement or for a way that I wanted to play the tune. And so... I decided, all right, man, I'll do that. But mainly from investigating Lionel Hampton, that was a big record for him, so I wanted to learn that. Now, as far as 7 Come 11 is concerned, uh, it's weird how that one came about. I was doing a show at the Savannah Music Festival with Marcus Roberts and Dave Stryker. And uh, when Mar- we were playing a show, and Marcus was introducing everybody. It was at one of the workshops, and, and Marcus said, yeah, Dave Stryker's over there. He's representing Charlie Christian. Dave Stryker starts playing 7 Come 11, which I didn't really know that well at the time. I heard it but didn't know it that well. I was like, wait, what, what tune is that? And so that's when I found out it was 7 Come 11. And when I looked the tune up, I found a recording of it that was actually, uh, I mean, there's the original Charlie Christian recording, but really the first recording I got of it was on a record called Together Again. It was a reunion record with Benny Goodman, Gene Krupa, Lionel Hampton, and Teddy Wilson, done in 65, I think. And I listened at the tune, and I said, oh, okay, this is an ABA tune, and it's not too hard to learn, and no one's playing it, so I will. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, the guys in my band, um, the guys in my band that's on the record, I, I sent him an, an email of the file. Said, "Yeah, learn this. We're going to start playing this," and that was it. This uh, record is on Elm Records. Will you talk about this label? Sure. Elm Records really started back in 1978. It was started by my father, and when he was at the realization that major labels were not going to sign him, he decided decided to make a solo piano record. Uh, it was a record entitled Solo Piano Reflections. Now, it was a very interesting venture because there was a lot about the music business that he learned at that time. Uh, so that was the first record. Now, the second record was done in 1983. It was a record entitled Syndrome. And what's interesting about that was uh, that was Delphio Marcellus, my older brother, his very first production. It's like really good trivia question. That was the very first record that he ever produced. And I don't know if that, I think, I'm not sure if that was a school for, a project for school or not, but that was his very first production. So that was the second record to come up on Elm. So really, my father only did two records for Elm. Now, the course changed in the latter part of the 90s. 
when my father and I in a discussion one day, he mentioned that he had these two masters that was just sitting around and nothing was going on with it. And as he's saying that, I said, hmm, you know, the reissue market is very big right now. <laughs> so I turned to my father and said, you know what, man, we should reissue these to CDs, man. There'd be a very big demand for it. And what was interesting was when we did Syndrome first, he was really, he wasn't sure how well it was going to do because, you know, the first records, they sold, I mean, they didn't sell all that well. Uh, but it turns out these did sell well. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, the, the stature of my father's name did change over the years, and there's a lot more people that are aware of him on the national level that would have been in the past. So they did well, and we did reissue Solo Piano Reflections. And uh, once he was finished with his record deal from uh, Columbia, uh, he started making records on his own, and I'd help him put those together. And and so, you know, that's something that we've been doing, re- releasing old things, re- you know, reissuing older recordings and uh, releasing new ones. And um, I decided to release uh, this one here on Elm as well. If you had told your parents that you wanted to be a pharmacist, would that have been okay? Sure. Absolutely. They were interested in whatever it is that we wanted to do and just be excellent at it. Ellis III does not play music, for example. I mean, he doesn't do music at all. I mean, he's, you know, he's written a book and is involved with computers. He's a computer entrepreneur. Uh, I mean, there's various things that he's involved with, and he doesn't play music, and that was fine by them. What does uh, what does being from New Orleans mean to the music that you play? Uh, well, being from New Orleans means there's a rich history and culture and personality that's in the music of New Orleans. And it's very diverse. One of the mistakes that some people make is that they usually pigeonhole New Orleans, and they usually do it by pigeonholing it into a traditional jazz city. While traditional jazz is a big part of the city, there's more to the city than just that. And that's something that I have encountered quite a bit just through the years. Uh, I remember watching a two-hour special that was on PBS with a guy, and it was in Pennsylvania somewhere. And so the first hour dealt with the jazz fest, but it dealt with a lot of the different bands that you have, such as the Neville Brothers and Dr. John and... Some other people. I don't. I don't know if all of the people were from New Orleans, but it was about a different side of New Orleans. And the guy tells me, when I think of New Orleans, I think of trombones, trumpets, clarinets. I don't think of this. And I'm saying it's a part of the city. And so the next hour was the next hour on PBS was a tribute to Louis Armstrong. It was a concert done in New Orleans uh, with. In fact, Winton was on it, Dr. Michael White, Doc Cheatham, and then the guy said, yeah, this is what I think of when I think of New Orleans. I just said, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> but usually a lot of people pigeonhole the city as just that one thing. Even recently, a guy from, who interviewed me from France said, well, you know, you guys play modern jazz, but there isn't really a modern jazz scene here in New Orleans. What do you, you know, so how is it that you do what you do? I said, well, first of all, that statement is wrong. I just had to tell them flat out, that's an incorrect statement. There is a modern scene here. And there's a lot of music that the city has to offer. And frankly, everybody is aware of all of the things that the city has. I think that's one difference between New York, New Orleans and, say, New York. Now, New York has so many different scenes. There are, in a lot of ways, they're all separate. You know, it's like this pocket here, this pocket there. There's so many different pockets. Now, on the other hand, New Orleans has different scenes, but everybody's aware of each other. 
And so there's a lot of elements that you'll hear in different people's music. Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of things. There's similarities that you'll hear in different people's music because, you know, everybody's aware of each other. So for me, being from New Orleans means a certain culture and a certain, you know, a certain way to play rhythm and to play the music. There's a laid-back essence in the music. And to me, it has to do with that blend of different ideas that makes the music from New Orleans and the culture from New Orleans very special. I'm not asking you uh, to speak on behalf of anyone but yourself with this next question, but from your vantage point, how is New Orleans doing? Um, New Orleans is in transition right now. Um, that's, that's really the best way to put it, because there's, a, there's, there's some things that have improved uh, since the storm. There's some things that have not, uh, but I think that um, it's, it's a lot of different things. That's why I say it's in transition, because... It's hard for me to say that it's better or worse. It's just in transition. There's some things that are better, and there's some things that are worse. And, of course, now, to be honest, you have some uh, people in the city that aren't trying to do the right things, and I'll just leave it at that, but then you have some people who are. So, I mean, it, it's an interesting thing. Now, one thing that I'm noticing that's interesting is that, uh, you know, that I've been seeing a lot of things in terms of uh, you know, sort of political corruption being called out a lot more <laughs> than in the past. So I think that that's one thing that can be a positive down the line. So for me, it's just in transition. Now, clearly it's better than what it was after the storm. Now, I can tell you that. I was in the city in October after the storm, and it was very depressing. It was very dark, and just it was rough. So it's definitely way above where that was. But as far as the city as a whole, I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done, but we'll see what happens. My guest is Jason Marsalis. Uh, his new record on the Elm Records label is called Music Update. And, uh, Jason, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I thank you for taking the time to do it. Okay, absolutely. I enjoyed this. That's Jason Marsalis on the vibes this time on his new CD, Music Update. You've been listening to The Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is presented by AllAboutJazz.com, the web's leading source for jazz news, reviews, MP3 downloads, and more. Every episode of The Jazz Session is also available for free at TheJazzSession.com and in iTunes. The show has an email mailing list and a Facebook group. You can join uh, either of them, and you'll have a great chance to win some free music from time to time. 
The theme music for this show is by the Respect Sextet, online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Vrabel, who designed the Jazz Sessions logo. This show is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 United States License. As always, I'm really glad that you're checking out the show. Thanks so much for listening. Please support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.